0: Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Ascension Day. It's actually the day, Thursday, May 21st, 2020. Uh, Ascension Day happens 40 days after Easter, and it's the celebration of Christ rising up and leaving the earthly realm, so to speak. Um, the The reference comes from Acts chapter 1, where it says that um, after his suffering... Jesus presented himself alive to them by many proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Well, there in in Acts chapter 1, it shows that the disciples, just before he leaves, have one more question they want to get in, you know, before he goes. So they say, Jesus, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus thinks... Oh my God, like literally, oh my God, they still don't get it. And he looks up to the father, what do you think? Should I stay a bit longer? And then thinking about it some more figures, well, they haven't got it in these 40 days, another 40's probably not gonna make a difference. So onward and upward, so long. So a new chapter begins. In the life of the disciples. Now we no longer pay a great deal of attention to Ascension Day in modern Mennonite circles uh, but it still is an important day for the old orders. They have a service this day and a tradition of enjoying the afternoon going out fishing afterwards. It's a lovely springtime ritual and I've learned that Ascension Day has a special place in Ontario Mennonite history as well. Figuring in the official split between the old orders and the more progressive churches in 1889. Divisions had been brewing for some time over a couple of issues. One was Sunday school, the other was midweek prayer meetings. The more conservative churches did not feel comfortable with either, with Sunday school because it would mean that non ordained people would be teaching, like women. And about midweek prayer services, uh, the advocates of this were suggesting it be conducted in English for the benefit of the young people. And this appeared dangerous to the conservatives. Well, attempts were made to bridge the divide. In, In the 1870s, a more conservative bishop named Abraham Martin came up with a proposal. He said the conservative churches would give on the issue of evening prayer, meaning Uh, They'd allow the churches to hold it, if and only if all of the churches could agree not to have Sunday school. Well, it didn't work, and uh, so the differences continued to simmer, and in 1889, the official split occurred right around Ascension Day. The spring conference that year had been planned for Friday, May 31st, in Markham. The Committee of the Official Mennonite Calendar of Appointments met and they decided that this date would be too close to Ascension Day, which fell on Thursday, May 30th. How would the ministers be able to have the services, preach on the the 30th, and get all the way to Markham on the Friday morning? So they decided to change the date of the conference to a week earlier, May 24th. Well, some of the Conservative brethren took issue with this, and decided to go with the original official date and had their own conference meeting on the 31st. And that was the beginning of two separate conferences here in Ontario. And Sam Steiner in his book, In Search of Promised Lands, where I learned about this, uh, interprets the move as a convenient way for both groups to claim the higher ground. Each group went on to say it was the others that had left the conference. So unfortunately, Ascension Day brings this bit of history to mind as well. But now I'd like to move on for the passage to the passage of the day, John, once again, to ponder its theological and spiritual meaning for us here in the 21st century. We're looking at John chapter 16, 1 to 15. And in there, in verse 7, Jesus says a very interesting thing. He says, quote, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So he's actually saying it's a good thing that he's leaving. Because this will allow something even better to come something that is obviously counterintuitive to the disciples. Then in verse 8, he goes on, And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Now... Here, I must confess, is where I lose the plot a bit. I don't really have any idea what he's talking about, do you? Sin, because they do not believe in me. Righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. Judgment. I'm not saying there would be no benefit in unpacking this, but I don't um, think that this is the time or the place for it. And so, with your permission... I'd like to move on to the verses just after. And so right after this, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things to come. Now this seems to get us back on track because it connects again to Jesus' earlier statement about the advantages of his going away. Something else is coming. It's the spirit of truth who will be an ongoing guide. It's the spirit of the living God who will reside within and will pass on all that he hears. Now the loss of the physical Jesus feels devastating to the disciples. But Jesus has a larger view. He knows that more is coming. His message, and the message of the religion he inspired, is essentially forward-looking and dynamic. More is coming. There may be death, there may be loss, but Christianity proclaims that new life comes out of death. Christianity at its heart is about resurrection and newness. And as such, it's a religion of the future, not the past. When the Spirit comes, she will speak what she hears. She will declare new things that are yet to come. So Jesus is saying something very provocative, that revelation will not stop. His appearance on earth, his life on earth is not the end. Just because he's leaving doesn't mean that God is finished with the world. God will keep on speaking new things to new times. And so hang in there because there's going to be a new chapter to the story. This forward-looking spiritual dynamism is a huge inspiration and also a huge challenge for most of the time We human beings are not up to it. We crave the normal. We crave the past. In this time of pandemic disruption, there's a great nostalgia for the past. If only we could go back to the way things were. It's always easier to picture what was than what could be coming. Remember the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert? much the way we're wandering these days. They longed to go back to Egypt. And Egypt was the place of their slavery. But they longed for it because at least it was familiar. It's what they knew. Better that than the unknown. So at that time, God and his friend and companion Moses had to push them. Keep moving, they said. Keep going. It's not the end of the story. The promised land is up there just beyond the horizon. Well, this may be the word to us as well. The word of the Lord for us today. Keep going. Keep open. Don't despair. Maybe this disruption is the passageway to something new. And in that sense, maybe it could even be a good thing. Well, maybe it's going too far calling it a good thing. On a very real and practical level, this pandemic disruption is not a good thing, especially for those who are suffering. It would be a callous and an insensitive thing to spiritualize it when there are many people, especially people in countries of the world with less developed healthcare systems that are suffering greatly. This pandemic is not a good thing. But perhaps in one sense, it it could be considered, quote, a good thing um, in that God could make something good come out of it. Perhaps it's a crisis that can provide human beings with the opportunity to choose a better future. I've heard stories um, of recovered alcoholics and it sounds odd but some of them um, give thanks for their addiction saying it was a quote good thing for if it weren't for the addiction they never would have hit bottom never would have come to their senses reoriented their lives to the most important things alcoholism is surely a terrible thing like any addiction but in one way, you could say it was good if something better came out of it. Um, this, is the, this is what I'm trying to get across here. Not to take the analogy too far. Like bad things happen in life. Pandemics happen. And I don't believe that God sends them or plans them so that we might learn from them. But God can work with them. That's what I'm trying to say. The spiritual question for us is not so much, where did this come from, but what will we do with this? What is God going to do with this? Are we just going to grit our teeth and ride it out, dreaming of the past, looking for the old normal? Are we going to use our religious resources just to cope and get through? Or... Can we dig in and use this as a foothold to imagine something new? The mission of the church is surely to live into the future, listening for the new word that is coming from the spirit of truth. We are the ones who believe in a new word. We are the ones who believe in life out of death. And so we are the ones called to dream new dreams and to help the world do the same. Amen.